The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 197. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart team. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Panelzy! I am Scottish. I can complain about things. She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the third Doctor story, The Claws of Axos. Joining me today on the panel are Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on our Facebook page. That's right. Join our Facebook community at facebook.com slash secrets of Doctor Who. You can also follow us on Twitter at SQPN. And we love it when you engage with us uh, and communicate with us on social media, whether it's Twitter or on Facebook, or we even have an Instagram where we're StarQuest Network. So follow us in all the places. So that's Secrets of Doctor Who, especially on Facebook. All right, so we're talking about The Claws of Axos, which is a third Doctor story. It aired in originally in 1971, so just to kind of place it in mind, especially as you watch this episode, uh, <laughs> because it, it's really... A, a, Psychedelic. It, yes, these yeah. are, are, the, are the, the part of their time and place, let's just put it that way. Yeah, there's kind of example of this. There's a comment by the Doctor about the primitive technology that they're using. And, of course, that, then it was a tongue-in-cheek comment. Today, it's like, yeah. That's yeah, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and they're even trying to make it look futuristic. This is when they were trying to make it seem like the Doctor's adventures were set around 1980. Yeah. yeah. And so they have, like, uh, they have a British minister talking to a guy on on uh, FaceTime. And yeah, right. it's like, this is the big, the big futuristic thing in you the know. episode. It's like, oh, yeah, you've got FaceTime on a giant monitor. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Well, at one point, I, I'm going to jump ahead a bit, but at one point, they set up a remote camera to to monitor yep. the alien spaceship, and it's like this giant like thing sitting on I'm like, yeah, I could do Facebook Live <laughs> oh. on my phone now. Yeah. And, it, and it has a cord going yeah. back to the Jeep. It's got to get that video <laughs> signal over the wire. That's right. And it's like this, and then you watch it on this tiny black and white TV. So, yep. yeah, 1980. Uh, so... Uh, so it is the third Doctor. This uh, this uh, serial is in four parts. It was originally going to be seven, but they cut it down, and I'm Thank so glad you. they Good did. Thing. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the this is the third serial of the second the 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 third Doctor's second season. So just to kind of give it an idea, and we're getting closer to the point, and we'll get into this as we talk about it, where the third Doctor is able to kind of travel in the TARDIS. Yep. He's in still fact, yeah. we He's see still the inside of the TARDIS. For the first time since the second Doctor. He's still stuck on Earth, but at least in this episode, he finally gets to move the TARDIS. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Under its own power, at least. Under its own power, right. <laughs> and so, in a way, this is the first time the audience saw the interior of the TARDIS in living color. And so that's something to think about mm. uh, there. <laughs> so, 
Uh, well, well, we'll get there. Uh, and, and, then, and, it w- and it was a huge mess. Yes. Yeah, yes. I, love, I love when the master comes in and the TARDIS console is like covered with what looks like just tons of unspooled magnetic tape or something. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. what a botched job. But, but, <laughs> bunch of wires and stuff, yeah. He's so fussy. It's so funny. You can see where the connection to Missy is there, I think. It's a little bit of that. Yeah. So the companions, uh, is Joe is still the, the primary companion, although in this era you could call the Brigadier Benton and Yates also companions. Yeah. Well, they've, they've traveled in the TARDIS, so they're, they're technically companions. That's right. In, in fact, as we talked about in the recent Seventh Doctor adventure we did, Time Lash. Mm-hmm. There's evidence in Time Lash that the Doctor originally took the unit folks to the planet Carfelon. Right. In that, because when he shows up with Perry, it's like, oh, Doctor, you're traveling light now, you, meaning yep. you've only got one companion. So previously, right. it would have been Joe and some of the unit crew that were there. Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. All right, so as this one starts, this episode starts, We uh, a unit radar station detects a spaceship heading toward Earth. It's actually like a, a big vacuum cleaner heading towards Earth. It looks like a big vacuum cleaner, like the one from Spaceballs, uh, <laughs> if you remember that one. <laughs> well, I was looking at the Ch- uh, Chakotea website, which is this great website that has transcripts of Doctor Who and Star Trek uh, episodes and everything, and the script direction for what you're seeing is, an elegant golden spaceship is picked up on a tracking dish. I'm thinking, I'm not sure I would have chosen the adjective elegant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just this looks like a big, like... Giant space whale, I was <laughs> going to say. <laughs> I mean, it's organic looking, right? Yeah. Yeah. Inside, it's filled with big tree root lasagna monsters that are that's, heading towards mm-hmm. Earth. That's why I called them the shambling root creatures. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, we have this committee of inquiry from the Ministry of Defense uh, at unit headquarters demanding to know, especially this one, the leader of the committee, that his name is Chin, demanding to know who the doctor is. But uh, as the brigadier points out, unit isn't part of the the British Ministry of Defense, and he personally vouches for the doctor, and that's enough. So Mm -hmm. they're trying to keep the doctor's identity kind of within the house, the fact that he's not, uh, you know, from Earth. Uh, So that's an interesting... Although uh, Chin does know he's not a British subject, despite the way he talks. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and it's, uh, it's Chin is a, an interesting f- figure. He's a officious bureaucrat who is always trying to cover his behind and um, is always failing. So he's like he's this this trope sort of character that kind you of, often get. Kind of the 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 you know the military is the answer for everything as well. Of course, he's in the Ministry of Defense, so that right. makes kind of makes sense, but. He's ready to jump in with the military at a moment's notice to blast it out of existence. So he's someone that the doctor can yell at. Yep. <laughs> yes, because uh, and, and as he's ranting about who the doctor is, the doctor shows up, bangs into, barges into the, the brigadier's office, hitting Chin with the door. Uh, <laughs> so just a nice first impression he's getting there. Uh, and he, he berates Chin angrily for being more concerned with England with the, than with the fate of the world, which is, again... This is going to be a theme throughout this episode. Yep. Uh, meanwhile, Joe, uh, Joe Grant is is we see her bring she brings in this American named Bill Filer from headquarters of the unit office in Washington, who's been sent to deal with the master, which the doctor thinks is pointless because the master has left Earth. Yeah, except we, the audience, know that the master is in every episode this season. So <laughs> right, right, we're going to be seeing him. 
And also, incidentally, uh, Bill Filer is played by Paul Grist, who is a very Welsh American, but his accent mm-hmm. is actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. it wasn't a perfect 100% of the way through, but it was actually quite good. So I wanted to give him props for that. He also played Sedevic on Blake Seven. So ah. he's another of the Blake Seven alums. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, he had a bit of a, it's, so it's an East Coast accent, but sort of indistinctly East Coast. <laughs> so yeah. is he from New York? Maybe from DC? Yeah, every, so it's, every once in a while, he'd get, kind of, he'd get a little of that, that Brooklyn accent and then it would kind of disappear. And <laughs> but much better than Perry's. Much better than Perry's accent. I will say impressive <laughs> mutton chops, though, on his. Uh, Oh, yes. sideburns. Oh, <laughs> and 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 the mop top. Yeah, yeah. it's like okay, this is this is really a 1970, 1980. Yep. <laughs> yes, yes. The fashion hasn't changed that much in ten years, apparently. One thing I really liked about Bill Filer is the way they contrasted him, especially in the beginning in episode one with Ministry of Defense guy Chen. Yeah, because it, Chen is very bombastic and just wants to use force instantly to deal with anything. And Filer is much more low-key. He's very relaxed by comparison. He's much more moderate. And I really liked seeing the bombastic UK type juxtaposed Mm -hmm. with a laid-back American type for once. Right. Because normally it's the opposite. It's the bombastic American with the more moderate British types. And here we get the reverse. So I really liked that. Yeah. well, it's interesting too with with Chin, you know, compa- contrasting with the Brigadier, because the Brigadier is you know, up until this point is known for being the bombastic, you know, five rounds rapid is the phrase that he's known for. So I mean, immediately pull out the gun, start shooting. Even the Brigadier is like, hold on, let's let's not like <laughs> blow it out of existence till we know what it is. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, it, right. it's just a big Hoover. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and so and that's what happened in the midst of all this. The UFO alarm goes off and. They they determine it's it's headed this ship is headed for the southeast coast of England. Chin immediately wants to shoot at it with the you know and in, in, in gets the Ministry of Defense to get its miss, anti aircraft missiles ready and the doctors yo so we shoot first ask questions later. Mm-hmm. They have this freak weather in the landing area that suddenly blows up. They don't really do much with that. Well, that's a late line that was added to the script because of when they were filming. And if you watch the shots, it cuts back and forth between they're in the snow and they're in sunshine yep. and stuff oh. like that from shot to shot. So they added that line in the in the I guess in the filming process to cover the the fact they were not going to be able to maintain a consistent look outdoors. I see. Yeah, that makes some sense then. So uh, they they launch the missiles, but they don't hit the, the the spacecraft. It disappears off radar before they can hit it. Uh, and we're interspersing all of that action with clips of this tramp. I mean, this is what we would have called yeah. him back in the day. Yep. Or bum. Yeah, or bum. And uh, he's down in that area on the southeast coast. He starts off on the beach, and he's riding his bicycle, and he's he eventually he gets knocked from his bike by the ship landing nearby, uh, which is yeah. near a national power complex. Now, this is actually a theme in a trope in... John Pertwee-era Doctor Who, mm-hmm. where we have lots of stories where we have a comedy yokel, typically from mm-hmm. the West Country. It pops up in multiple episodes. It was even there in Spearhead from Space, if you yes. remember the... The, um, the poacher. Poacher. The yeah. poacher, yeah. So he was our first Pertwee-era comedy yokel, and we get this series of them. 
I don't know, because he's never referred to by name on screen, but he's referred to on the internet as Pigbin Josh. Mm. And people have apparently transcribed the comedy dialogue that he utters, which is, you know, nigh on to unintelligible. Yeah. But yeah. it's like, Furge Thanger and Muck Witchler's Rock Throbbins, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> He's just muttering. Yeah. 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 That's the, me when I hit my hand with the 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 hammer, uh, and I don't want to swear in front of the kids. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's what, yeah. Rockin', 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 rockin'. I, uh, I kind of felt sorry for that actor, though, that had to ride into the, the pond. Into the stream? In, oh. In, in the middle of the winter, you know, it's snowing nasty, and he has to ride into that water. He apparently said it was actually warmer in the water. <laughs> yeah. I was reading one book on Doctor Who, I forget which one, but someone was commenting about an episode and saying, uh, wait, where's the John Pertwee-era comedy yokel in this? Oh, wait, it's got Benton in it. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I hadn't really perceived Benton as having a West Country accent, but uh, maybe he does. My sense mm -hmm. of British accents isn't as good as it could well, and be. He's, he's also, sometimes I think he's probably the smartest one on screen sometimes, but yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so uh, eventually the, uh, the, the, the tramp ends up by the, 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 the ship and he goes to investigate and he kind of grunts at it and a tentacle comes out and grabs him. He's brought into the ship. He's examined. His intelligence is deemed low. And so he's absorbed, which we will find out means it's just absorbing his life energy. Yeah. And his body is cast out as a husk, essentially. Yeah. At this point, the vacuum cleaner has buried itself in the ground except for the nozzle at the top. So they only had to build a nozzle for an external <laughs> spaceship. Yes, that's very convenient. So Filer, uh, by the way, the, the, the American unit uh, officer, he's been ordered to leave the uh, unit offices by chin from ministry of defense on national security grounds it seems seems a bit specious but okay uh but filer decides to go investigate himself and he gets there before a unit arrives because and and as he's driving along he's wearing these sunglasses as mm -hmm. he's driving and he's and he's listening to the radio and he's and it's talking about the spaceship and stuff and he's kind of got this smirk on his face yep and i'm thinking He's the master. He's going to pull off his face any minute. Oh. He's going to be the master <laughs> under that. And and, and they, I think that, and he's not. But I think they really. It'd been a while since I'd seen this one. Yeah. I think they really missed a tick here because it would have been so great to have the guy from Unit investigating the master's right. case to be yep. the master. Yes. That would have been awesome. That would totally be a master thing to do. Is to take yeah. over that role. <laughs> yes. So, but he ends up. He gets there before the unit guys, the the military unit guys arrive, and he gets taken by the tentacle too. He's examined and, luckily for him, found to be intelligent and is held mm -hmm. for further investigation. So the the unit team, you know, once they're there, they receive a, a radio call from Axos, and that's we find out the ship is called Axos. So Axos to Earth, we our fuel system is exhausted. We need assistance, and so the doctor and others go to investigate. But of course, the doctor tells Joe. No, no, this is no place for ladies. You stay behind. Whoa, he doesn't say that. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't no. literally say that, but it's clear. He just says, not this time. Yes. Yep. I, I like how the brigadier knows Joe. He tells Yates to watch her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which he does a bang-up job of. <laughs> uh, and, and frankly, it turns out that the, the doctor and the brigadier were wrong to leave her behind because she plays an important, helpful role, at least, inside the ship. 
So they they go inside. At one point, the doctor stops and writhes in pain. Something to do with the ship is scanning him mm-hmm. and finds him to be extraterrestrial. So that's oh, what is what is the doctor? And so it, he eventually recovers. I, I I couldn't quite tell there, but because it's really psychedelic inside this ship. Yeah. I mean, and, yes. and actually, this is one of the best things about this serial is the visuals inside the ship. They're using like chroma key to do the backgrounds, and so mm-hmm. it's primitive, but it, it has all this psychedelic organic technology, and it, the th- dominant colors are like yellow and orange and red, and and it's really weird looking. And that's one of the best things. The visuals are really impressive for the time. But as he's being scanned, you know, the sc- the special effects get even more crazy. Mm-hmm. And we see these images of black and white faces. And I think they're mixed. I didn't freeze frame it to check. But my impression was that they were like mixing the first and second doctor's faces in there a little bit into that oh, somehow. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I missed that. So, as I mentioned, Joe sneaks past the unit guards, who are really bad at what they do, and gets on board the ship. <laughs> well, uh, oh, no, no, it's, 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 it's even worse than that, because they've, <laughs> they've got this bunch of unit guards in, like, a circular, maintaining a circular perimeter around the vacuum cleaner nozzle. And they're all facing it, and they've all got machine guns, and Joe just walks up to the front of the nozzle and goes in, even though all the soldiers are looking at her holding machine guns, and none of them stop her. (laughs) Right. right. That is true. That is true. So she gets on board, and and she hears Bill Filer, who's awake now, calling for help. And meanwhile, we see in the same room, the master is there, and he's also restrained. So what's going on? Is the master playing a game? So we're, this is question. And they're, they're restrained by these claw things. They look like crab claws that are holding them down. Right. In the and wall, these, yeah. These are the so-called claws of Axos. Yep. Right. Which is a really kind of a strange name because they're sort of um, like, why, why isn't it tentacles of Axos? They play a more well, a bigger but, role. <laughs> but the funny part is. I, I almost feel like they picked this title because of there's a line in there where Axos has his claws in Earth in already. Earth. Yeah, mm. that's true. And I wonder I, if that's and then that I wonder if that's where they decide when they're doing the set designs, like, hey, claws. This works. Literally. <laughs> yeah. I, I wondered about that too. I focused on a different line. There's a line later on because it's going to turn out that Axos is all one organism, yep. even though it presents yes. itself as multiple ones. It's really a single organism, which is a cool idea. Yeah, and so there's a single mind in control yep. of everything that's happening here, and they later refer to it dramatically as the mind of Axos. And my guess was, oh, maybe th- that would have been a good name for all this because the claws are fairly minor, but the mind of Axos is the driving thing. But they couldn't use that as a title because they just had the mind of evil. Hmm. Right, right. So at this point, the doctor and his delegation. So it's the Brigadier, it's Chin, and it's these guys from the power station, Sir George, who runs the power station, and this scientist named Wisner. They've all, they're all the ones who are there inside. So once again, in a third Doctor story, we have a power station. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yet again, a power station. <laughs> but this is no ordinary power station. Oh, no. In addition to being a power station, it has a faster-than-light research facility in it, and it becomes a prison. So it's a 
prison faster than light time travel power plant <laughs> that happens to look like England. a regular regular English industrial factory somewhere yes, chemical plant somewhere <laughs> so the they they encounter these four golden humanoids two men and two women as far as we know i mean they're aliens so who knows and as as we'll find out they're all part of axos yeah in my notes, I describe them as bug-eyed golden Greek gods in psychedelic body stockings. <laughs> That's uh, pretty close. Yep, yep. Man, they must show up at uh, cons as uh, cosplay uh, all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so they say their ship's fuel is exhausted, and they'd like to stay until it's replenished. In return, they will give humanity the gift of axonite, which is the source of all of their growth technology, because they, they tell them that the ship... Axos is has been grown, not built. It can absorb, convert, transmit, and program all forms of energy. It's a floor wax and a dessert topping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the doctor in this though, because they're 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 talking about all oh, our energy sources are depleted. We had to go through a solar flare, and he's like, Didn't you just say that your element can like convert all forms of radiation, like say a solar flare? Right, right. He calls them on it. Yeah, so yeah. something's right. up. By the way, nice Saturday Night Live from the 1970s exactly. deep cut on the uh, <laughs> floor wax and dessert topping. Yep. <laughs> thank yep. you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so they, uh, they, they demonstrate the Axonite by taking a frog, uh, which they misidentify as a food source for humanity, although they live in France. I, I have been frog gigging multiple <laughs> times as a boy. I have eaten fried frog legs. Come well, on. It is maybe, a food source. If they'd laid it in France or maybe in you know Louisiana or you know, somewhere in Arkansas, Texas. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, anyway, they make it grow the, a giant toad, and then they shrink it back down again. And so, unlimited food, unlimited power, unlimited rice pudding. Anyone? Yeah. <laughs> well, you you <laughs> could have can. unlimited rice pudding with this. <laughs> and it. This, so here we have another 1970s theme peeking in, not just energy crisis stuff with power plants. Yep. But also food crisis stuff. Yep. Right. So big concern back in the seventies. What was his name? The guy who predicted we would run out of food by the year two thousand. Oh, well, Malth originally um, Malthus. Malthus, yeah, but yeah. he was he lived uh, like back in the seventeen hundreds or something. Right. Oh, okay. But the Malthusian, so-called Malthusian population food crisis was big news in the seventies. Yep. Yes, yes, I recall that. Before we realized, nah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So uh, it was a good TED talk about that. So Joe is wandering about the ship looking for a filer and uh, runs into one of these shambling root bundles and screams. The doctor hears her and he and the brigadier run off. Chin, meanwhile, is suddenly interested in being friends with the people he was trying to shoot down earlier mm -hmm. because they presented him with an, an interesting opportunity with the Axonite. Which they want to be a gift to all. All mankind, yep. but right. he wants it to be a gift to Britain, really. Yes, yes. And then we'll we'll make sure that everyone gets some benefit from the two, right? Right, right. So they find Joe, and uh, she describes what she saw, but the uh, golden boy shows up and claims that she must have been hallucinating because of emissions from the power source, because, you know. And the doctor says, actually, that happened to me, too. Right, right. Yeah, because mm -hmm. of the, when he was walking in and had the weird uh, experience. But is he really, or because at like right after that, he assures Joe that he was only pretending for the sake of the aliens, right? Right, correct. He is mm -hmm. what he from what he says later on. He was just 
he was just faking that to smooth things over in front of the aliens, but he really did believe Joe. Right. Also, by this point, we've picked up on dialogue from the master who's been yammering on about, you've promised me my freedom and stuff, that yes. once again, the master has made a deal with a an apparently superior force, right. which mm-hmm. is the standard master plot. Yes. You might even say the master yep. plan in <laughs> early master appearances. Yes. And we, I think we also, we also find out the reason why he's made this deal is because he, they captured his TARDIS. He wants right. his, his, he wants his ship back. Right. And as part of the deal, he wants the doctor dead. Uh, you know, yeah. That's, that's part of and the deal. Earth. Too. And, and Earth. And Earth. Yes. So, uh, Filer, meanwhile, because he's American, has decided the way to escape is to shoot things, right? <laughs> so he's got his pistol out. <laughs> and he's not wrong. He just yeah. needs to know which thing to shoot. Yep. So the the master says, shoot that ganglion above him, because, of course, the doctor, the master knows all about the internal structures of the ship creature. So, meanwhile, Chin is talking to the Minister of Defense, who I, I like. I like these interactions between Chin and the Minister of Defense, because the Minister of Defense <laughs> obviously has contempt for Chin and his oh, abilities. Yeah. And he makes it clear that it's Chin's neck on the line if anything goes wrong. Uh, Chin makes it clear he's a pompous bureaucratic windbag who doesn't like unit so we, we've got we know where everybody stands here yep i i like so initially he's talking to the minister of defense on the telephone but later when they're on facetime with each other yeah even though both times he talks to the minister the minister is hinting about if this goes sideways you're gonna take the fall right but in the second time he like when he's on video phone he holds up a letter and says Already got your letter of resignation ready for signature. <laughs> <laughs> like he's just taunting him. <laughs> yes, he, he he wants this guy gone. Yep. So uh, the master and Filer escape, but then they're recaptured by the Golden Boys, and the, this is where the master says, "I kept my side of the bargain." So you know, we know he's he's betrayed everyone again. So and as the uh, delegation is leaving the ship, we see that the Golden Girl. The one of the the, the female uh, aliens mm-hmm. melts into the wall. So this is where we're starting to see that they're not quite individuals, as we still say. They're they're avatars, really, for the ship. Mm-hmm. The brigadier at, at at this point relieves Chin of the axonite sample at gunpoint. I know this is so. This is really kind of unrealistic Over- writing. Yes. Yeah, is a kind way to put it. But everyone does what they do because they need to for the plot, right? In order to make it dramatic, and yeah. so the brigadier just whips out a gun and demands the axonite from Chen, and everybody is ju- in this plot is. I mean, the doctor is being pacifist, bombastic. Chen is being warlike, bombastic. The brigadier is being the resolute action man. Joe is being the plucky sidekick. Pigman Josh is being a comedy yokel, and everyone is just inc- yep. written incredibly broadly here. Yeah. And you really have to just say, okay, this was children's television. It's like SpongeBob. Everyone is really broad. <laughs> right. So, and then the tables get turned on the Brigadier because when they get back to the mobile HQ, they find that the British Army has been called in and they've arrested all the unit personnel under Chin's orders. So here we've got this. The, the you know people are completely violating jurisdiction like over the top you know arresting each other so it's really really gone gone sideways here the irony is that if chin had had his way that actually would be would have been better for earth and for everything would have gone because axos and i'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit but axos 
wants the Axonite to be distributed all around the world because that's key to its master plan. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying the aliens are bad? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Whoa. You mean Chin was right to want to shoot them down as a precaution? Whoa. <laughs> that's kind of, I mean, it's kind of a... Uh, the in, doctor in the was dead wrong. Exactly. Uh, and it would have killed the master at the same time, which would have been convenient for the doctor for many decades to Bonus. come. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, Filer uh, on board Axos is being duplicated. He's having an avatar made of him. And uh, the the master is revealed to have been t- helping the Axons. I call them the Axons. I'm not sure they actually call them that in the, in the episode. But uh, helping Axos take over Earth. The Axonite needs to be distributed around the world. In 72 hours, which right. is a ridiculously short period of time. Right. But you got to have the ticking clock. I was getting that ticking clock. It should be like within seven months or something. (laughs) Right. But 72 hours. And I don't, I mean, it's ridiculously short, but A, children's television. And B, I have a rule that if I can fix something on the dialogue level, I don't hold it to too high a standard. And I could just change that to a more realistic time on the dialogue level and it would all still work. Right. The, and the master pledges to help with the distribution. That's his, you know, this, uh, this is how to get my TARDIS back. So at the power plant, the doctor is assisting the the scientist Wisner with the the, inc- the scientific inquiry, the examination. Wisner ex- explains his experiments with time travel. And the doctor says he knows about time travel, but has been made to forget what he knows by the Time Lords, which is, a, a, that's new information for us. No, no, no. We've known that. That's the key reason the doctor hasn't been able to escape is because they put a memory block on all of his uh, knowledge of time travel yep. equations. Okay, so we so we'd heard that bef- in a previous episode with the yeah. third doctor. Okay, mm-hmm. well that was that was the whole, part of the whole thing with Inferno where he was tinkering with the 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 console was trying to get around that by fixing the console. Okay, so he does say that he wa- he he sees the Axonite as a way to fix the TARDIS, uh, which mm-hmm. is interesting. So the Filer duplicate, meanwhile, is told by Axos to bring the Doctor back to the ship, even as the real Filer escapes from imprisonment. So we're going to have the, the fake one and the real one out there. The Master makes a deal with Axos to help spread the Axonite, and he sneaks out of the ship, shoots a guard with his laser gun, screwdriver, and Filer kind of follows him out. He leaps out the closing door, uh, mm-hmm. which is like the petals of a, you know, closing petals. I don't know. It's like a flower thing opening. It's an orifice. Yes, yep. he leaves out the orifice. <laughs> it's very unfortunate. So the the uh, the filer duplicate shows up in the the light acceleration lab where the doctor's working. Demands the doctor go with him to Axos in this very robotic, zombie-ish way. So it it doesn't look at it doesn't seem at all like the real filer. It's so it's not going to fool anyone. But mm-hmm. and you just referred to the light accelerator, and people in the audience may be going, "Wait, but light travels at a constant speed. You can't accelerate it." Yes. Except they're planning to. They're going to accelerate point of it. stuff faster than light and thus create time travel in the middle of their power plant. So <laughs> right. it's and also this is like the key power plant for all of England. If this goes yes, down, mm-hmm. all of England has a big blackout. And so that's the perfect place to put an experimental time travel facility. I mean, nothing's <laughs> going to go wrong there and take down your power plant. Well, it's a, it is a perfect place because it's a power plant that can produce 1.21 gigawatts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> or, a, or a lightning bolt. 
So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so as the the fake filer shows up, the real filer comes and fights with him, and electrocutes him and turns him into soap suds. Yes, yep. he gets disintegrated in the middle of the cyclotron. So, uh, the master, meanwhile, has hypnotized a unit truck driver and gets him. Basically, they they go back to unit headquarters to grab the TARDIS, the Doctor's TARDIS, and bring it back to the power plant because I I think he plans to use the Doctor's TARDIS to escape. Because mm-hmm. the axon, the Axos has his TARDIS, uh, right? Yep. So he needs to get that working. He's he's trying to steal the Doctor's TARDIS, not yes. realizing it's an absolute disaster of a <laughs> ship right now. It's a jalopy, but it's broken down. So the the Doctor and Filer go to the Brigadier. the The, the Army guys are just being obt- intentionally obtuse about everything. And mm-hmm. nope, we're just following Chin's orders, no matter what, no matter how bad these aliens are. We're following orders. Like ah, uh, so the. Uh, the doctor starts experimenting on the axonite by putting it in the light acceleration chamber, which causes a premature activation of Axos's nutrition cycle, which starts making everything and everybody on the ship melt. Yeah, so the plan is we eventually discover that Axos wants to galactus the Earth. So <laughs> they, it needs to yep. distribute the axonite around the Earth within 72 hours because it's, it's really hungry. And it's going to eat all life forms on Earth. So basically, Axos is Galactus. Yeah. And, and, it, and so that's the basic plan. But when the Doctor starts bombarding the Axonite in the time travel research facility with faster-than-light light, it triggers the feeding frenzy prematurely. Right. And yeah, and that messes everything up. Wisner, the scientist Wisner, comes in at that point and is upset that the doctor's messing with his time travel stuff. Uh, but he gets turned into an axonite creature. Well, he gets turned into a tarpaulin. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and then these tree root lasagna monsters start attacking. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this is when the doctor realizes that Axos, the ship, everyone on it, is just one creature. And in the cyclotron has accelerated and, and, its growth. Well, and their their natural form is basically soap bubbles because once the yes. doctor turns on the axon or the beam on the axonite, it turns to soap bubbles, just like <laughs> the axonite creature did. Right, right. So uh, Filer is uh, gets zapped by one of the creatures and uh, with a tentacle. Skewered, yeah, yes. skewered. Then the doctor and Joe are hypnotized as the now humanoid creatures march them off to Axos. The Golden Boy, meanwhile, tells Chin and Sir George, that's the guy who runs the power station, that Wisner was messing with the Axonite and killed himself, so that's why he's not there, uh, and that the, they need to shape up or the agreement is canceled. Then they find Filer on the floor in a coma. Like They're all like wandering around the lab while this poor guy is in a coma on the floor behind this <laughs> console that nobody saw, including the sentry standing right there. Like, what is wrong with these sentries? <laughs> anyway. They were told, look one way, protect from one direction. Don't turn around. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, on, on board Axos, the doctor's told that all things on Earth die, and Axos is only going to accelerate the process. Well, that seems reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really interesting sequence, too, because they have... So, in addition to the other manifestations of Axos we've seen thus far, there's like a giant eye on a stalk that hangs mm, from the yep. ceiling now that also is axos and there's kind of a screen some kind of like bioorganic screen here so when the axons manifest in human form they're like that greek psychedelic god thing 
and the leader guy is the one you've been calling the golden boy. Yep. And we get this speech from Axos as it's explaining to the doctor what's going on, and it's like the golden boy's head filmed from slightly different angles, yeah. turning, and it keeps switching between the different angles of his head as it's talking, and it creates this really creepy effect. Yeah. Mm. And so I wanted to give him props there. I really like the the disturbing way that the head is being filmed. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of an early Max Headroom kind <laughs> of effect yeah. where it, it's switching, you know, just rapidly. It's, yeah. it's, it was an interesting effect. So, uh, and the the doctors basically told that axonite, the the material, is bait for human greed. It just takes advantage of human greed for power uh, and to to spread itself. And so it's a it's a parasite. So what we have here is essentially a retread of the Iliad. Beware of Greeks bearing gifts. This is the Trojan horse story. <laughs> yeah, yes, the Trojan uh, space vacuum cleaner. So the uh, the brigadier now is informs Chin that he's been relieved of any oversight and that the brig is back in charge. The master has, meanwhile, go- gotten to unit headquarters and hypnotized some guys and uh, leaked oh, I, news I, I, of the Axonite. Oh, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, this is an earlier point. And he like, sends a message to the United Nations to stir up trouble and stuff. Yeah. But his main goal is getting after the TARDIS. Right. And the way he tries to get access to that is he, well, he has, he hypnotizes a guy to bring it to the power plant. Yes. Yep. And then he gets access to the power plant by impersonating a unit official. <laughs> yeah. So he's got the military jacket and he's got a face and he, he's like, we see him from behind and his shoulders are hunched up and, and he's like, bombastically demanding as a high unit official this is a surprise infection uh, surprise inspection and, <laughs> yeah. and oh well, i'll tell the brigadier no don't you it's this is a surprise i'll tell him in my own good time and yes and then when benton walks away he like we he turns and he takes off his mask and we see it's the master but i just love see this is he should have been bill filer he can impersonate unit officials that's right that's right uh and so when he when he unveils himself he is uh uh, he goes to the TARDIS and uses his screwdriver to break in. Uh, and we see, like I said, we see the TARDIS interior for the first time uh, since the second Doctor, and he finds everything in pieces. And he's very disgusted with uh, the Doctor at this point. Meanwhile, Axos is torturing the Doctor for the secrets of time travel because now they've decided they want to increase their feeding range beyond just this present time. They say that that was their whole goal with capturing the Master in the first place was they realize that they could get the secrets of time travel from him. Right. But then the doctor shows up and they do the little scan and, oh, the master isn't the only time Lord that's out in the wild. And we've got a second one now. Right. I, I may have missed that. Cause I, I kept wondering. So first of all, you've already got loads of planets. You can go eat Galactus. You yes. don't need to travel across time. If you start traveling across time and eating planets, it's just going to be different parts of the same menu. I mean, once <laughs> you've eaten a planet, it's dead. So you don't this right. time travel thing really isn't going to help you. I mean, not a not it, it it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, maybe theoretically, but right. it's it's like come on, really? You you don't you evolve to eat planets. You can just do that. You don't need time travel to eat planets. 
But I, I found myself going, why aren't they trying? Why are they going after the doctor for all this? Why aren't they torturing the master? Why do they want the doctor's TARDIS? Why they've got the master's TARDIS? Why don't they just use that? I, I think it's not so much they want to use the TARDIS as they want to understand the technology and the science. Right. Yeah, but they, they like are trying to get, well, in any event, I, I forget yeah. the particulars of my thought process, but I strongly felt, why aren't you just torturing the master for this information? Why aren't you just exploiting the master's TARDIS instead of the doctor's? Right, right. No, it's it's true. It, or why didn't they get the secrets out of uh, from it from the master when well, they had it? And yeah. I'm sure that, you know, the master being the master, he immediately, as soon as they captured him, starts, you know, oh, I've got a better, I've got a better option for you. You don't, you don't need me to help you with that. I've got a better option for you. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's why they went after the doctor. So mm-hmm. in any case, they, they dangle the promise of releasing the, the memory blocks that the Time Lords have put in the, in the doctor's memory so that he can, uh, can t- uh, time travel again if he will cooperate with them. But he refuses. Until they then they threaten Joe with a, mm-hmm. prematurely aging her uh, using Axonite. Which we get to see. Yes. Yep. The poor elderly actress that they get in there. Oh my gosh, it's so gross. Like, no, this, this lady is a nice lady. Why are you making this into something bad? But anyway, <laughs> uh, I always feel bad for the actors. Like, oh, I'll make you into this heavy guy. And then they show a heavy guy. You know, it's just, you know, I feel bad. Yeah. Well, this, this point was it was aging her to death. Yes, yes, that would age her to death. Uh, so uh, he does. So he agrees to give them the time equation, and this doesn't seem to be a, a a trick on his part. Like he's like, no, no, I have to give you what you want, right? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. is he yeah. got a plan? Okay, no, he doesn't. Well, I, I think he may have a plan, but he is being honest as they're bringing back his memories of time right. travel equations. He is using them honestly. Okay, so. In Axos determines that in order to travel through time, the power requirement is such that it will need the power of the whole power complex, which seems like it will be a one one way trip. Then, if right? you can fling yourself between stars, you don't need a single British power plant. Well, if you can absorb yeah. all of the life force of the entire planet, yeah, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So they send the Golden Boy Axon to the reactor to like establish a power link there. Yes. And we're just told, and we see some of him going there and also turning into a tree root lasagna monster. Yes. And there's some action and so meaningless stuff happens. But then we're just told he walked into the reactor and committed suicide. Yes. And it's like yep. off screen, we don't even get to see that. <laughs> right, right. And I think this may be part of, you know, budgetary stuff. And when they cut it from seven down to four episodes, things ended up not being in the script that we really right. should have seen. Right. Uh, apparently, uh, for these, these tree root creatures to walk, they have to wave their arms around. Did you notice that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's some top-notch acting. <laughs> Very delicate balancing all of those roots as you walk. Yep. <laughs> yes. So uh, the Brigadier, meanwhile, catches the Master coming out of the TARDIS. Who, he explains he was trying to steal it to get away because Axos has his TARDIS, so he's honest about it. Mm-hmm. Axos, the creature in the, inside the reactor, is making it go critical, and the Master pledges, I will help you stop it in exchange for my unconditional freedom. And the Brig agrees. He and has he's to be, agree. He's being honest. He's going to yep. let the Master go. Right. The Master would never would betray the brigadier in such a promise, but <laughs> I guess not reversed. <laughs> so he's going to use the TARDIS to absorb all the reactor power and then channel it all back to Axos at once in one big go. 
which will overload it. That's the plan. Mm-hmm. The Doctor and Joe, meanwhile, escape while Axos is disoriented as it's absorbing the power. And is really go- having a bad trip. Yes. Yep. Very, very psychedelic, hallucinatory stuff and it, going it on. And re- it really affects Joel, and the Doctor's trying to basically drag her out of there while she's being affected by it. I was waiting for him to start slapping her to get her, you know, make some sense of it, like sort of like in the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Snap out of it! What he does instead is he forces her to do math equations. <laughs> yes. And she's really good at mental math equations, it turns out. She yep. comes up with those answers fast. I guess to be a, a unit agent, you really got to know ma- your math. So uh, Axos recovers and starts sending power back to the reactor. And Sir George, the head of the, the, the plant, who goes down with the ship. He's, uh, you know, he's killed trying to disconnect the reactor from the TARDIS uh, in order to, to save it. He disconnects it, does a backflip over a railing, and dies. Yes. Yep. The doctor shows up just in time to stop the master from taking off in the TARDIS, and he demands that the master help him defeat Axos. And Filer is suspicious that the doctor and the master are conspiring against humans. And, and he's Filer right. Filer is right. <laughs> this is so yeah. we're now in, we're now in episode four, so it's the uh-huh. last one. And episode four is unexpectedly dark. Yeah, yeah. I mean. The doctor tells the master, which the master has not known previously, that the Time Lords have blocked part of his memory. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so that's why he needs the master. But it's like, this planet is doomed. Axos is going to eat it. We're Time Lords. Let's get out of here. Yep. Right. And he seems absolutely sincere. And he says goodbye to Joe without even a wink to indicate that this is a plan. I mean, this is just, this is as dark as some of the Colin Baker stuff in, like, Mind Warp. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Axonite around the world starts doing its thing, you know, the, the absorbing thing, and uh, Axos emerges from the ground. Yates and Benton, who were, mo- like I mentioned before, were monitoring uh, Axos, now have to drive back to the power complex in the Jeep, and they're waylaid by shaggy root bundles everywhere. And, and and end up uh, blowing up the jeep after jumping clear, like with the uh, the shambles, the the yep. access creatures on it. I just I love that one. Like they're they're these things are in the road, waving their arms and like, oh, just drive around them. Whoop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, well, they the axons at one point block the road with a tree that that yes. I guess yep. they caused to fall, and it's like, okay, th- you're in. You're in fairly flat terrain. Drive <laughs> off the road and around the tree. Yep. You're in the jeep. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's designed yeah. for that. Uh, so the uh, the doctor tells Joe in the break that he and the master are leaving, and the TARDIS takes off. But they're not really leaving. Instead, they materialize inside Axos, which, much to the master's surprise. And now the doctor has a new dastardly proposal, which is we will help you if you jo- give you time travel if you. Join us to bring down the High Council of the Time Lords. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And wow. That, and and even the like, Master's like, oh, I wouldn't even do that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you could have gone dark, Doctor. So <laughs> they're going to link the TARDIS to Axos so they can travel through time. And the, But it turns out the Doctor intends to send them into a time loop. Mm-hmm. And the Master's like, yeah, I'm done with all this. I'm taking my TARDIS and going. And so he runs into his TARDIS, which is next door, and yep. escapes. The, meanwhile, the Brigadier and the others are cornered by the shaggy bundles in the time acceleration lab. And just as they're about to be, or as they are overrun, Axos dematerializes and all the Axos creatures go with them. So 
The doctor saves everybody at the last second. Uh, critical failure point plot. <laughs> yep. Yeah. To just put the queen vampire in a time loop and all of the little vampires die. Yes. Yep. Once again. Well, I, I mean, it's all part of Axos. Axos is one creature, yeah, so if it leaves... I was, I'll give it to him this time. Okay, that's a fair <laughs> yeah. point. Yeah, but it's still a critical failure point. I, I like how during the siege, Benton starts bowling. I mean, he decides to play a game of bowling with grenades. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Those no grenades overhand go pitches. Yeah, Just rolls going them off down. awfully yeah. close. Yeah. Axos tells the doctor, you're stuck with us now, but he manages, as the shaggy root bundle is trying to choke him out, he manages to reach a control and dematerializes back into the lab just before Axos... Uh, just before the plant blows up. Before yeah. the yep. plant blows up. Because reasons. Yes. Yep. So, so he jumps out of the TARDIS like, hey, everybody, I'm back. And then it's like, nobody's there. And five, four, three, just like in Star Trek Three yep. with the yeah. surface walk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Get exactly. out of there. And so he jumps back in the TARDIS and gets out just as the reactor blows. And everyone thinks he's gone. Except Joe. Yes. He, he Right. And he, the TARDIS rematerializes in the midst of the rubble of the plant. He ends up trying to explain to the Brigadier what a time loop is and fails and oh. kind of hopes that the Master is stuck in the time loop with them. But, of course, he's not. He's not. Yeah. And then he reveals that, like, oh, you came back, Doctor, he, said, he says to them. Well, I didn't have a choice. The Time Lords have programmed the TARDIS to yo-yo back to Earth uh, every time it tries to go away. Which gives us the outline it seems that I'm some kind of a galactic yo-yo. <laughs> yep, right. <laughs> Not in the sense you mean. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, and uh, that's where we end things. So, uh, any last thoughts on this episode of Father Corey? Uh, the Master a couple of times calls the Doctor's TARDIS an antique. Yes. Uh, you know, antiquated. And I... Remind me, Jimmy, I, I think later on in the series, they, they reveal that the Master's TARDIS is a Type 70. I don't remember the exact number. It is it is a more advanced TARDIS than the Doctor's, and the that's Doctor's not, is a forty. Yeah, and the Doctor's, oh, and and it makes sense because he stole it while it was being repaired, so yep. it would make sense that it's old. It's also not the first time that we've seen a TARDIS that is more advanced than the Doctor's. The meddling monk yep. in the Time Meddler has a TARDIS that's like fifty or a hundred years in advance of the Doctor's. Yeah, and it. It's kind of interesting, too, as the series goes on, what a TARDIS looks like in its native state changes. So the, the Master's TARDIS, you could assume that's the native look of a TARDIS. Right. It looks more like the, the Sid Rats from the War Games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Later on, it becomes more like a cylinder. cylinder. Actually, that's what we see in New Who when they show uh, the first Doctor stealing the TARDIS. Right. It's a cylinder. Yeah, I think we saw that in uh, the Master in the Sixth Doctor's time. Uh, it was a cylinder. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jimmy, any final thoughts? So this this serial has good aspects and bad aspects. I like the bioorganic technology. I like the psychedelia. I actually like the darkness in episode four, even though it's kind of jangly. It doesn't really fit tonally with everything else, but it is unexpected. Mm. And course the doctor is not really betraying us but wow they don't let on that he's not mm -hmm. on the other hand everyone is written as a cartoon yeah. in this and they act for bizarre reasons that don't make <laughs> sense <laughs> and so it's i i saw one uh critique of this episode maybe more than one 
that talked about the writing duo that produced this are like throwing a ton of creative ideas into this script and there's really not space to develop them because it's just a four-parter. And so maybe that's part of why everything seems so jangly and unconnected plot-wise. On the other hand, it's, for the most part, not boring. Although there was a point where we get into the heavy action sequence feeding cycle where I just wrote stuff happens <laughs> in my notes. Right. But so it's it's kind of a mixed bag for me. I like I very much like aspects of it. On the other hand, it's it's not as well crafted as it should be. Right. That's fair. We should probably mention the 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 writing pair, uh Bob Baker and Dave Martin write quite a bit during the third and fourth doctors. So they're this one, the three doctors is one of them. That's mm-hmm. on Taran Experiment. There's a bunch of them that they, they write. They had like eight eight episodes, eight serials that they wrote together throughout mm-hmm. Classic Who. Right. So they're they're fairly fairly significant, at least again in that period. And they were unique among the Doctor Who writers of the period in not being based in London. I believe they were in Bristol, so they were known as the Bristol Boys. Mm. Oh. And Axos never shows up again in nope. Doctor Who. Nope. Interesting. It would be interesting to see them in New Who, or him, mm-hmm. it, in New Who. That would be an interesting <laughs> creature to bring back. Other things have broken out of time loops, including the Doctor. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, all right. So let's wrap things up there. Uh, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Greg C., Nicholas C., Wesley B., Andrew K., and James O. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Uh, We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of The Clause of Axos? Uh, you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time where we'll be discussing the 11th Doctor story, The Lodger, featuring James Corden. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember... But I doubt if even Axonite could increase the growth of human common sense. You could use more of that in 2020. Right. This is going to be fun.